0: Hello, Sam from the future here. Just a quick note before today's show to let you know that A. We recorded this in February 2020, long before we switched to remote recording. B. Our guest, Kellen Jones, came on to talk about his upcoming film, Six Minutes to Midnight, which, like a lot of films in 2020, was postponed. It does now have a UK release date, March 2021, but do check the link to the film's website in the show notes below as it may change. C. Six Minutes Midnight stars the great Eddie Izzard. At the time of recording, we referred to Eddie using the he and him pronouns, but as of January 2021, Eddie now uses she and her pronouns. Finally, Kellen has also produced a fab film called Poms, which is not only 90 minutes long, but stars Diane Keaton, Rhea Perlman, Pam Greer and Jackie Weaver. At the time of recording, this film did not have a UK release date, but it's now available to buy or rent wherever you get your movies from. There's a link in the show notes below, and I highly recommend giving it a whirl. I had a blast. Thank you for bearing with me, and let's go back to February 2020 for our latest podcast. Cue the music! Hello, I'm Sam Clements, and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. This is a podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime, and is entirely curated by guests on this podcast. Today, we're joined by the award-winning actor, producer, and writer, Kellen Jones. Hello, Kellen. Hi. Hey, Sam. How are you doing? Uh, Did my mum write this? Well, you know, if you do a quick uh, Google search um, when researching a podcast uh, about you, your CV is incredible. Uh, you've done a lot of. You've done a lot of work. It feels like it. Sometimes it feels like it. it is a lot of work. Sometimes I feel like it's not enough. But yeah, thank you. No,
1: it's good to be busy. It's nice to see you again. No, absolutely. Well, yeah, babe. it's been it a while. Nice to see
0: you again. Yeah. Well, so we were lucky enough to, when your film Set Fire to the Stars came out, you uh, you did a Q and A tour, and uh, and we we had you at the Clapham Picture House with uh, your co-star Elijah Woods. It was a great
1: night. That do you know I, I I loved that cinema. I loved that. Um, that whole audience it was really really great fun because it was the preview screening so i think we premiered the night after mm. and then um we went down and did a QA which uh, people still say was one of the funniest q a's they'd uh, they'd been at. but we, we were just enjoying ourselves so it's nice to see you again i'm thrilled to be on here and i'm thrilled with I, i'm a big fan of your podcast and just for your listeners here we're in this amazing venue at picture house central we're in a turret I can see the face of Big Ben and I can see Regent Street and Piccadilly Circus. So um, if, you know, there's the visual
0: view if you're like uh, two mafiosa bosses sitting in a turret uh, <laughs> looking at a city. Well, the nice thing, uh, Kelly, is that you're a film fan as well. as you, know, you make films, you're very busy, you're writing, you're producing, but you're also a movie fan. And, and I think this podcast, you know, we love talking to movie fans. So very grateful to have you on. <laughs> it's how
1: we all get into this business, isn't it? Really? I mean, we all had a, you know, Everyone can remember their code at the VHS video shop, you know. Hundred and twelve J was mine. <laughs> and um, you know, the getting the VHS out we sort of were you know, I was born in seventy nine on an island off North Wales, so there weren't many theatres because all of them had been closed down and we were, I grew up on the docks there. So my, you know, my entertainment was film and all of that time and the video shops. So it all has seeped in and now we do it for a living. So, uh, yes, I am a film fan and a fan of filmmakers and uh, generally just an appreciator
0: and a supporter of anyone trying to do this crazy business. Recently, you were at the Welsh BAFTAs. Up against some uh, some actors I've never heard of, someone Anthony Hopkins, mm. Michael Sheen, Matthew Reese, and and yourself. And myself, yeah. For the best actor category, and uh, and congratulations because you you won. Yeah, that was a shock. That's a well, that's, what a night. <laughs> I know it was it
1: was a night. I um, made the joke when I received the award that I was the only one I'd never heard of. Um, <laughs> I really didn't think. I I I thought the the, the nomination was prize alone um it was wonderful to and, and to have my sort of name and face next to those brilliant actors and i just thought said to my wife let's just go down let's have a night out mm. let's go and watch anthony hopkins win an award maybe we can get a selfie and i can <laughs> tell him my love remains of the day and the elephant man we got there and i was sitting on the end and my wife was going Ooh, you're on the end i was going be quiet stop it please don't don't i'm not do not i am not i just it's not happening and ruth jones came on Stage and I know Ruth. I've worked with Ruth before. I think she's fabulous, and uh, yeah, and she she read my name out, and it was like a truck hitting me, you know. And I went up there and made my speech, and it's now on the sideboard, and my kids have taken it into show and tell. Oh wow! Um, <laughs> but it was it was great. I was very proud of the work. I was very proud of the performance. It was a very difficult role. It was a very dark role to play, and um, and I and I was really pleased to be. Um, Recognized for it uh, by BAFTA, and also the fact that the drama, the director got recognized as well. In the same line,
0: just to go back to Set Fire to the Stars, I mean, it's such a it is such a beautiful film. Really, really struck me. But also, I can't help but think, like, you brought Elijah Wood over to Wales to make this film. <laughs> what do you remember about the sort of the, the production process before you were you were shooting?
1: Well, I remember everything because we did everything from it. But at uh, first, of all, Elijah thought he was going to Manchester <laughs> because we thought we were going to make it in Manchester because we knew. The landscape there and we thought manchester or liverpool double very good for new york mm. we wrote the script halfway through writing the script andy goddard called me up and said i just think elijah Wood would be amazing in this role and we were like sure <laughs> let's let's go for it the, the script worked it went straight to him it went to no other actor he wow. said yes he was in he started researching co- um vinyl shops in manchester because he's a big record fan we were never going to manchester because we met our designer who's down in swansea who said I could do this film. I could design it. And I think Dylan Thomas is from Swansea. You've got to make the film in Swansea and I've got to be your designer. And by doing that, he could make things look incredible, but also he could make them at a price because, like I said, we had little to no money. So Elijah was in. We had a Skype. Mm -hmm. I was very nervous because I didn't want to mess it up. And then he agreed. And we just made it happen. And from that on, we, we we got the cast together and we got the money together and we, Griff Reese came on to do the soundtrack and it was all guns blazing. We made it in 18 days. We made it for half a million pounds. Everybody tells you to lie about the budget of a film. And, uh, but you get to a point, especially five years on where you go, actually, and Elijah was part of the producing team because he's a brilliant producer. And it's, that's, you know, we, begged, borrowed and stealed and got it out there. And everybody thought we made it for millions. You know, they thought, oh, gosh, they've had grants galore. But no, every penny was raised privately, apart from a little bit of thing from a film agency who kind of came in last minute and they were great supportive of the film. Mm. And that was it then. We were filmmakers. Um, but uh, so everything from the process, I remember haggling with the airline to get the cheapest ticket to fly Elijah over there. <laughs> And I remember sort of saying to somebody at the end the production office, and they were like, "It's going to cost X amount of money to 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 fly him over." And I was like, "How much? Give me the number." And I got on the phone, and I was saying, "You know, well, you know, we're flying uh, we're we're we're, <laughs> we're flying Elijah Wood over, and uh, I'm in the film with him, and uh, this is how important it is." And they ended up giving us a great deal and stuff oh, yeah, like okay. that. So I, uh, you know, the uh, market trader in me mm-hmm. kicked in. So you know, you do, you know. If you can do something, you've got to do it. Nothing was going to stop us from making that film.
0: When do you switch from being writer to actor? Do you imagine yourself saying these words when you're writing, or does that come later when the script's done?
1: I think, well, I imagine other people saying the words for the other characters, and, and, and that's just like almost like improvising really you're at home and you're thinking wow so I can always always have an idea of the type of person that I want to play and then if I'm playing the part in it because I co-wrote it with the director I knew that when we went into production I would stop being the writer for production Mm. no way was I going to have put a writer hat on and say actually we should do this you know I had to separate them Mm. apart from a couple and then at night in the hotel room we would get together as writers and have to cut scenes or rewrite them or change them It, it felt very easy And it was the first time, so I knew no different. And the second film I made, I decided not to play in it. It was a film called, originally it was called Keepers, but it came out as The Vanishing. Mm,
0: With uh, Gerard Butler and Peter Mullen. Gerard Butler and Peter Mullen.
1: Um, Super proud of that film. The Vanishing, I prefer the title Keepers. As do a lot of reviewers, <laughs> um, but hey ho, some you know
0: you it's it's just the business, you know. It's marketing. The, it's marketing, <laughs> yeah. and and
1: people have a strong
0: opinion on how
1: things go, and that's
0: just it. You must have that moment where you're like I've written a film that like Peter Mellon and Gerard Butler like that's that's kind of a big deal, and then you're behind the scenes, you're execing on it, you know, you're making it all happen. You're sitting in the monitor and you're watching it and going. Oh, Peter's making our words
1: really good. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to go far. He's polishing them up beautifully. <laughs> you know what I mean. And then Peter would come up to us and say, "Say, you know, you like their brother?" He'd be like,
0: who's a going?" You know, I right, Peter. Very excited about your next film that you co-wrote, uh, Six Minutes
1: Midnight." Marvelous human being that is Eddie Izzard. He, um, we did a film together, a Gillis McKinnon movie up in Scotland called Castles in the Sky. And after that, Eddie and I. Eddie saw Set Fight at the Stars. There we go, another more another connection. And he said, You know that thing you did? And I was like, What thing? You know, write yourself a really good part <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, I yeah, yeah. And he went, uh, can we do that for me? And I was like, All right, what are you thinking about? And he showed me this school badge of a school that really existed in Bexell-on-Sea up to September nineteen thirty nine. Third of September nineteen thirty nine was Beginning of the Second World War, when we declared war against Germany. So, right up to September, there was a school in Bexhill sea which sounds funny. It's always a name that sticks in your brain, you know, like, where Nazis, high ranking Nazi officials, sent their daughters and goddaughters to a finishing school. And their school badge had a Union Jack in one corner and a swastika in the other. Oh, wow. No word of a lie. So, Eddie showed me this badge and said, This existed. And I thought, OK. What would Alfred Hitchcock have done with that? So we were thinking these sort of films, these kind of pre wartime thriller, but yet it's embedded in the truth. How could we riff on that? And Eddie had this great, this idea of this character who was sort of, you know, what it was like to be part German, you know, at that time in British history and then this sort of school. And that was our jumping off point. So we wrote this screenplay together and we wrote the screenplay together. And then when we needed a director, Andy had gone off and done a movie in the States and he'd gone done huge, huge Marvel TV shows and things like that, and he was coming back and he was looking for his next film. Mm. And I said and he's like, What well, you know, what are you what are you doing? And I said, Well, you know, Eddie and I are writing this thing and it's like, you know, think went the day well type movie you know think think this you know it it is Nazis by the seaside (laughs) it is it is Britain you know it is in the vein of the Ipcris file or all those kind of great sort of old thrillers but yet embedded in the truth and he was like huh I'm in I'm in so he then was on board to direct it and very quickly he was like well we did write Set Fire together and we have got a language together so we joined the writing team and the three of us wrote the screenplay together and Eddie was always going to be playing the lead, which he does brilliantly in it. Judy Dench read it, said yes, she's on board. Then we, then all of a sudden, it was Jim Broadbent and Carla Eury and David Schofield and James Darcy, and then these extraordinary young German actresses who came to play the young girls. And one of them was in the White Ribbon, the Hannah Case movie. Amazing. I mean, an incredible talent. Mm-hmm. And it really is a girl's movie in that respect because the they are you know Carla, Judy, obviously, and those young, young young women from you know playing the young girls in the school they are just the jewel in the crown of that movie. And then of course the through line throughout it is this extraordinary, unlike, not to type Eddie Izzard performance. It feels like. It's his James Stewart moment, you know. Oh, it's great. his Cary Grant moment. It really, really is. It's like Eddie Izzard, like you've never seen him before. And I think if there's a theme in our films that we make, it was a a, a very different role for Elijah Wood. It was a very different role for Jared Butler, and this is a very different role for Eddie Izzard.
0: This is quite a clunky segue, but prepare yourself. Clunk away. So, so when you're when you're writing a film, do you think about the runtime of the finished movie? Yeah. Are you uh, and and to this date, I don't think you've made an under ninety-minute film. No,
1: but I. All the scripts are 90-odd pages.
0: So you're aiming for it. It's got you're 90 pages, and in, in the typical maths is 90 pages should be 90 minutes. But, of course, editing and, you know, actually maybe moments with no dialogue and that sort of stuff in uh, can, can change that.
1: Totally. And when you put a movie together, contractually, there is a there is a number in the contract as well. Oh, really? Quite often. Oh, yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, I'm telling all this the is scenes. This is behind the here. scenes. Yeah, this is behind the scenes. <laughs> You know quite often you know when you're you know fixing up all the finances and things like that and which is a huge part of putting together the puzzle of, of filmmaking is that um you know how long is it going to be because the length of time will will fall into what buyers want and need because buyers are all around the world you know and there are going to be you know if there's big censorship laws like in china you know you, you might be editing the film might be editing down if there's has to fit into TV slots as well it's got to be sort of fit in there it's got to so there, there are numbers that do fly around but i like a 90 minute but i've not gone under 90 and my film choice for you as well was just the first film that came to my mind that i knew was well under 90 so i've committed to that that's good yeah it was just the one that i instinctively knew straight away what was the shortest
0: feature film it's funny how uh, run times stick with you sometimes. you like, oh, I really enjoyed that film. Oh my God, that was a runtime. Wow. <laughs> uh, I think we, should, uh, we shouldn't tease it any longer, Kevin. What film did you choose for the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest? I went for Pavel Pavlovsky's Last Resort. I
1: remember watching this film and it not feeling too short, not feeling too long. Mm. And it came out in 2001, I think. And I'd, I think I hired it multiple times. <laughs> Because of the old video shop, you know what I mean? and uh, But as an adult, in a different view, when I lived in London. And I remember just, there was something in that film, in this film, that stayed with me. It was a sort of film that I wanted to be in as an actor. I admired the acting in it. I admired the story. It was a world that I hadn't, I didn't really know about. Mm. I didn't know Pavel's documentary work before this. And then in in its sort of centrepiece is this, performance by Paddy Constantine who you've just told me this morning turns up a lot
0: in your podcast we should dedicate a wing or something to Paddy uh, this is the third Paddy Constantine film in the festival this following should be the Paddy uh, Turret we should the the Paddy call it Turret. Turret. <laughs> yeah this is a, I would love to put his name over the door that'd be amazing um, in addition to Dead Man Shoes and uh, La Donkin Scorsese two films he did with Shane Meadows Paddy's also worked with Pavlikovsky a number of times and and this is their first time working together I think in last resort because they went on for my summer of love Uh, with Emily Blunt, which is also under 90 minutes. So as well as Paddy appearing in three under 90-minute films in our festival, this is the first Pavel Pavlovsky film, but all of his features are eligible. He has not made a film over 90 minutes long. Even even the epic Cold War, only 85 minutes. No. And that's like a lifetime, that film. You know, it's this epic romance. But uh, That
1: sequence in the bar where she's dancing, that is so masterful. And Ida, Ida is...
0: He loves a a short film, which is, you know, Man After My Own Heart. (laughs) Ah, good man, Well, life is busy, you know. And life is totally busy. Uh,
1: I love that, wow. Wow, so third Paddy film and Pavel's done hasn't gone over 90 minutes.
0: I call myself a fan, but I came on board with My Summer of Love with um, Pavel Pavlikovsky, and, and I'd not even heard of Last Resort. So I'm really grateful to you for actually just bringing this to my attention. How because, did you get on with it? Uh, well, first of all, getting hold of a copy, extremely <laughs> hard, <laughs> because this is a BBC Films production, came out in 2001. As you say, it won a BAFTA for Pavel Pavlikovsky. They had a, a release through Curzon Artificial Eye. They put it out on DVD, but um, so I thought oh, it must be on their streaming platform, Curzon On Demand. Not on there, it's not on Netflix, not on Amazon, VFI uh, Players all of these things, iTunes. So I ended up going on to uh, my you know, favorite website for this podcast, eBay, for our more obscure choices. And I got the Italian DVD. Wow. So I watched a movie with, in English, but with Italian subtitles. Didn't help me for the Russian scenes, which then had Italian subtitles. But I really, really enjoyed it. I'm really grateful. So I got on with it um, really well. I, I, and I'm, I'm sort of surprised that not more people have heard of it. And I'm surprised at how hard it is to get hold of it, considering how much of a success Pavel's had in his later career with EDA and, and Cold War, doing the award circuits. Someone needs to put this out on Blu ray. If anyone who has that power is listening, a nice Criterion collection. Criterion collection, yeah, you're dead for right It'd early be perfect. Pavel. It's a remarkable film. And, and you know, it's got some great talent there in front of the camera and behind the camera. Well, only
1: revisiting
0: it did I realize Rowan Joff
1: co wrote the screenplay. Um, I didn't know that. And Ruth Caleb was one of the producers who has done some of seminal kind of BBC dramas. And I've worked with Ruth briefly as well in the past and when i watched it i just left i'd left drama school in christmas 1999. Wow. so this whole uh you know i this millennium i've been that's how long i've been an actor you know what i mean january the first 2000 i became a professional actor so i i visited this film and from the opening shot on the train and it with you know the book ending of the film like that and then Peppered with all these sort of great supporting, you know, Perry Benson as the immigration officer and I think, isn't Adrian Scarborough in there at some point? Mm. All those great sort of little British performances and obviously I'd never seen the actress, the lead actress before um, in anything and the young boy, of course, the young boy was his first thing and I hadn't seen Paddy Constantine before and he was a guy... Who was so free and so loose and, and and funny and warm, but with this simmering kind of danger underneath his performance, which we all we we've all come to know and expect, and because we know Paddy Constantine. But at the time, I remember thinking, "No, I, he doesn't. Nobody. He doesn't look like an actor. He doesn't move like an actor. He moves like a boxer or a dancer." It was kind of like when I first saw Sam Rockwell in something. I thought this guy has got
0: a jazz beat to him because I didn't see room for Romeo Brass till. To later. He was quite young when he did Room for Romeo Brass, but I'm not sure what the chronology is there. I assume he's working with Shane Meadows around the same time. Around the same doing time. Doing shorts and sort of low-budget bits. Yeah. Because um, I know they go way back. It's Shane and, and Pavel are the two people who made Paddy what he is today, gave him these opportunities. Gave me
1: a, And I think I, I've been at a Q&A where of ref, ref, referenced them as well. Mm. And he was always an actor, I guess, because he, I guess he wasn't a professional actor. He, he was a, 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 a firebrand, a talent mm. And in a way, he found structure in his performances later on, I think. Whereas you had Pavel and Shane, who were capturing this frisson, this energy, this clown-like, um, this accent, you know, that you didn't hear quite often. I'll never forget the moment where he, he, um, you know, he, he's talking about the bingo callers, and he's and he's like, oh, the hand-eye coordination is like boom boom, and he was doing things that. I saw American actors do, you know. What I mean that kind of, you know, you, you'd or Gary Oldman, I guess, with mm. very young Gary Oldman. I, if it wasn't I was looking for a Brit, so he really popped for me. For those of you who don't know, if I'm if we're sort of rambling too much, is that. It is a, about a woman and a son who come to the UK there to meet her, the love of her life, who doesn't meet her at the airport. So she chooses to for, to be an asylum seeker and they take her to this sort of nondescript seaside town, which is almost like a prison on the side of the UK where they're detained while the British government and the powers of be decide what to do with them, whether they're going to be sent back home or if the story pans out that the person that she is waiting for will be there. So it's a very bleak world. I'm a sucker for the anything with the seaside, especially a British seaside, the kind of macabre, turned-off Coney Island-esque worlds where the where they're designed for fun. But when the lights are off, they feel very, very um, scary and eerie and empty schools and stuff like that. Mm. And so this bleak seaside town that should have been It would have been a destination for everybody. Is now this tired, depressed, grey prison. And its poverty is just there. And Paddy plays the arcade owner and bingo caller. And he's just sort of got a sunny disposition and he's an ex-boxer. And of course her love does not turn up. And they are poor and desperate. And she needs to do anything for money. And at that point she gets persuaded to go on some web chat sort of you know the sex industry very kind of low like a, like a webcam girl webcam job. Yeah. yeah it's 2001 uh, different times no yeah. no, no, no <laughs> smartphone for them but it was like you know it was that sort of dial up kind of very kind of sort of sleazy but she gets like she gets groomed and talked into it by these two guys and one of them who actually is from the He's an adult performer, isn't he? Yeah,
0: I think his stage name is Bendover.
1: Bendover, yes. Now, I honestly did not know his work as Bendover. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just thought, who is that brilliant actor when Mm. I watched this film? I believed him so much. The way he talks to her, the way he sort of placates her, the way it's so matter-of-fact. I remember there's a bit where he's trying to get her to have this lollipop in this webcam, and I remember thinking... Who's that actor, who's he been? That's a brilliant performance. And it turns out that, um, you know, he is, you know, from the adult entertainment industry. And I think his son's a really well known actor now.
0: Yeah, son's in outnumbered, outnumbered, uh, yeah. wasn't outnumbered. Yeah, Tiger Honey, yeah, <laughs>
1: that's his name. And by all accounts, you know, lovely family, great, uh, you know, and 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 that's just his the the, I guess, his father's business. But as a performance, it really did pop for me when I saw the movie. I thought, okay, very real. I find it. It had a real sort of realism to it. But at the same time, it it sounds like it's such a depressing kind of film, but it it sort of isn't. It's dealt with very, very delicately. It's got hope in it. Mm. You really root for them. You really root for 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 that fact that they might get out of this situation. Mm. Uh, And that's why I loved it. And that's why I find it... I I was surprised how short the film is, Mm. because I think it is... um, it, It tells the story... Perfectly, Paddy Constantine's performance in it—they were those performances that really launched this brilliant career, I think. Where they knew him, and he knew the work, Mm. and he was able to sort of perform within that structure, so he could be free-flowing, improvisational, Mm. witty, dark. He can explode, and you're always waiting for when's the point. You know, when's Paddy going to pick up the hammer? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Do you have any work? I can do anything. Everybody can do anything, but have you got a work permit? This town's full of people, aren't they? What's your name? Tanya.
0: Tanya, hi, Tanya. Hello, mate.
1: <sighs> On around, a lovely lake.
0: Are you hungry? Have you ever had a curry? Curry, beautiful. you ever had a curry? I think this was a good time for that type of film like you know beginning of like Shane Meadows and British cinema just oh, in the 90s you had people like Danny Boyle come through yeah. and there was like that, that sort of gritty sort of BBC films film for style um, British film you know low budgets but great talent um, which really was a springboard for a lot of directors it doesn't seem I know they are still there but it doesn't seem to be there in the same way as such um, There are they are out there but they're sort of coming through different channels I think I don't think it's necessarily film for and BBC films all the time.
1: I guess the economics of things is always kind of against people look look at the amazing thing that happened with bait about a year ago I I saw there was a released clip of it on the internet and I remember just it came across in one of my feeds or whatever like that and I thought oh I really like that and I followed the work and I followed the director and he followed me back (laughs) because I think by then he it hadn't happened, and he was like, "Oh, there's a there's a guy in the industry who's just followed me back, and I follow him, and I sent a message. It looks great." And he goes, "Oh, I can't wait for you to see it." And it's like that. Since then, he's now won the thing and done this. And he's been become, on this podcast, he's been, has he? Yeah. So it does happen, doesn't it? It mm. really does happen, but it is harder. I mean, a lot gets put into young filmmakers, and rightly so. That is great, but also I think there are some great, experienced older filmmakers we are not getting a chance to make films anymore. And I think that's a shame. I think that is a real shame because there's great talent out there and there needs to be a balance as well because where you lose them to TV or you lose them to jobs or all of a sudden people, because people want to pre-sell anything and it's, it's a lot easier to sell a young, a new a new filmmaker because they haven't lost anybody any money yet
0: but you liked the movie though last year yeah I, I did didn't? I was really struck by it. so Dina Corson is the uh, the lead actress in the That's film it. playing Tanya opposite Paddy Constantine and we start on her and it is that amazing shot in the airport on the uh, sort of the monorail or the, the transport they're on her chemistry with her the boy who plays her son they were so good it was so believable and I think a lot of this film actually believable is a really important word because it's authentic it's shot in a real life location it's it's an unnamed seaside town but they shoot in Margate you know you, you can sort of see it and it, it just feels lived in of course, because it's a real place. And off-season Margate in 2000, or whenever they shot this, looks pretty bleak. Perfect for this (laughs) film. It's before the the hipsters came down. And I thought, you know, the arcade was was just great for Paddy because it was it sort of uh it, it was it was a bit rough around the edges you know it was this joyous arcade once but now it's off season it's a bit grim um and it's like Paddy there's a levity there but there's something serious below him so i thought all of that staging was so good you know you said earlier it's uh that the film is quite oppressive in a way you know she's basically put in this not a prison but it's like a prison to her and i think the way just the decisions you know shooting on location in this off off season seaside town it does sort of make it feel like a prison and you're really you you're you're like what can i root for and then Paddy is this sort of shining knight and, and, and their relationship is what you're rooting for at the end of the day. And I, I really got a kick out of that. And that's a lot I just talked about, but does it all in this very considerate runtime? Because I think Pavel is just focusing on all I want the to do is to sell this relationship to the audience mm-hmm. and I'll put all the ingredients in place. I'll set it up and I'll let my actors do this brilliant thing. And I think as a showcase of, of uh, Dina Corson's work and Paddy Considine's work, that you, know, you can't get better than this. And uh, and I was sort of thinking, you know, why haven't I seen Dina in in anything else? But she has continued to work, and she was recently in Peaky Blinders for like a whole season. But I, I now I want to watch Peaky Blinders because I want to see, you know, twenty years later what Dina Corson's doing. This is a wonderful sort of calling card for her.
1: Oh, it's amazing. And, and that's is that the scene where he brings them curry?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. And like, curry, beautiful, oh, <laughs> beautiful. It's curry, beautiful. You
1: to have that curry? It's beautiful. <laughs> and it's it, it, his desire to communicate, mm. isn't it? And I think that's what it is. What you get. What you get from Paddy Constantine these early performances is that there's a desire like with all art why do you connect with it and it's it's the it's you feel it wanting to communicate with you mm. whether it's a painting or a piece of music or a film or a, you know a, a novel or, the, or a poem or anything like that, that if there's something in it that wants to communicate with you and you something in you that wants to communicate back mm. that's the connect that's the connecting tissue and if enough people have that then it becomes more popular and you think with paddy's work as an actor you feel this desire that he wants people to to like him loathe him love him understand him and i think overall it's about him wanting to be understood Mm. and by un by being understood he'll understand himself Mm. and i and 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 that's what you 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 drew me to you know those performances and especially this film because that makes him a very heroic and hopeful character like um is it emmanuel was the angel amongst men you know and that's what he is he's the emmanuel figure in this story and you know like all you know all those figures it's
0: which is so tragic because they're so good together in the in the film but you know there's very good reasons why they can't be together both of them i think are like they're people who want things but they also there's things they need to do like paddy says later in the film he's an ex-con um he's he's out you know this is a new start for him and he's just trying to turn his life around, which is why he's really going for it. He really wants to help. He's trying to be the best at his day job, but he's got this violent history behind him. I think that's really interesting to see him wrestle with that, you know, like just as a performer, we don't, as the audience, don't know anything about this until much later in the film, but you can see like there's this edge to him and how he's playing it. There's a scene early on where he has to uh, get some lads out of a, a phone booth. Um, so uh, the, uh, Tanya's character can make a phone call and he's, he's quite good at handling a big crowd. You know, it could be quite intimidating, but he's very, you know, all right, lads, just get out, get out. One minute, really important. He's so good at that. And then later on, when you find out why he went to prison, it sort of makes sense. Yeah. I think that's just Pavel's really good at sort of revealing that information to the audience.
1: That history of violence of, of a character, you know, that people carry it with them. You know, when you see it in characters in films and stories and in in, in life as well, this sort of shadow. I, I listened to this amazing podcast the other day. Uh, I'm quite a boxing fan. And the heavyweight division is fascinating at the moment, and the Mike Tyson does a podcast. Oh wow! And um, there was he was there with Sugar Ray, being very honest, and you. I only saw it recently, and listened to it recently, but I saw it because they put out little videos of it as well. Mm. And he's been really honest, and he start, Mike Tyson starts crying. He's really moved because he's talking about how how such a violent man he was, and how he's desperately committing to being humble but he is so scared of the violent man coming out again and this is Mike Tyson crying his eyes out being so honest it's like oh my gosh that should be in a movie mm. i mean and that's it's so uh, expressive and poignant and honest and and tragic and hopeful and human mm. human and that's what you get you know you see it it's there in people you know that that you go okay we People with the shadows, you know, you know, shadows don't go away. You know what I mean? And uh, and 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 that's what myself as an actor is. I always say you got to play the monster and the man and the man and the monster. And 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 I really enjoy that when I see actresses and actors do that. You know, bring that light and shade into roles, because it's a fine line. It's such a but when that tightrope works, there's nothing like it. You you watch great, great performances and, you know, and watching some Dina in this role, she's so brilliant but she's sort of the bass to his trumpets.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, you're right, you're right. I mean, it starts with her, it takes a little while for Patty to come in but I think with that character, you want, you want to you need to see what normal is in this world mm. because the world is it's they're establishing its oppressive its grim she's having such a hard time and you you can't bring in the hope too early because the audience you know you sort of need to be wanting it and again the timing is so good he comes in just when you need him and he's something for the audience to latch on to and 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 they progress really well it's uh yeah it's, it's it feels epic like talking about this film 73 minutes long but emotionally i think it is quite a big story um, yeah I, like I a novella isn't it yeah. you know when you got properly wrapped up in it. And uh, I mean, we talked about runtime a lot, but regardless of that, just emotionally, when it ended, I I was like, I don't want it to end because I want more of these characters. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a really good sign, you know, as a, as a bit of filmmaking, you know, leaving the audience wanting more is, is a joy. And when those credits rolled, very uh, sort of lo-fi animated credits at the end is a very low budget film. Uh, I was just like, oh, <laughs> why isn't it? Why isn't it longer? You know, it could be 83 minutes long. It'd still be good for me.
1: I'm glad I chose one that you liked as well, but because uh, I agree with you. And, I, and it was a film that I, I returned to multiple times Mm. wonder if Pavel will come back and do another film in the UK you know what I mean that would be really Interesting, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, really his cool. um
0: the, his work in the UK is it feels like you know, British gritty filmmaking and he's got a long history of, of working in the UK. But um but I also loved that this um this new pavel on the world stage, you know, Cold War playing in Cannes, Eder being nominated for Academy Award, all that sort of stuff. That's that's great that people are people know his name. But he has these very humble beginnings, you know, lo fi, BBC films, uh British film and and it's such a calling card for everybody involved. Right down to the I think the script supervisor is Joe Oppenheimer who's now BBC, no. the BBC again yeah. Deck, yeah. uh, behind so many amazing films um, now. But this was his first credit. Really? Mm. So like, right down to, you know, if people in front of the camera, Paddy, but also people behind the scenes.
1: It feels like the old Screen too, doesn't it? Remember yeah, the yeah. old old Screen <laughs> too. But, but, you know, we would not have had Jimmy McGovern through those things. Ken Loach we would have had through those. Mm. those. Um, I totally agree with you. There is a way of incubating and creating these platforms where this work can be you know that people can follow a route and that you could get to the world stage potentially but also sometimes you want people to come back and you know
0: do a reunion show do a reunion show or do a smaller <laughs> movie again you know yeah.
1: or, or, and do a smaller f- film again like mm. all all the while people get into this thing of you know budgets go up and up and up and up and up until eventually they go so up and you don't and they don't get their budget back and they don't make another film again we're actually you know do the solo album, do the big band album, do the greatest hits.
0: Hello, I'm Helen from FlixWatcher.
1: And I'm Kobe, also from FlixWatcher.
0: The Netflix review podcast you go to when you can't find anything to watch on Netflix.
1: That's right, we are another podcast in the Strip meter family. So if you've struggled to find a film on Netflix, then we're the podcast for you. And we have guests from other podcasts, big and small, and they're the ones that actually choose the films that we then rate and review and talk about in our show.
0: If you'd like to find out more about FlixWatcher or any of the other shows, visit www.strip.media to find out more. Well, I'm really glad we've got Last Resort in our in our film festival. Say so first of hopefully many right. uh, Pavel Pavlikoski films and our third Paddy Constantine. I think he's our most featured actor. So he's developing his own sort of strand. Uh, well, he's got to festival. come on the show. I guess this is a, it. This is a
1: director yeah. uh, shout out to Paddy. <laughs> come into the turret for Sam and uh, be on this podcast. It's named after you. Do <laughs> um, you know, Paddy Constantine, let me tell you a little story is that I was filming a cop show in London. My daughter was young, and my son was just about to was my, my wife was pregnant with, with our son. And I was doing a cop show, a TV cop show, which which was great, in London, and that was sort of paying the bills. And when I wasn't doing that, I was teaching at school, mm-hmm. and, and kind of my teaching at the school was kind of my film school, because I was there to help youth creative writing and drama to support kids with emotional and behavioral sort of, you know, communication sort of, um, enhance their communication skills and their understanding of them and building sort of self-identity and hopefully a sort of positive sort of... So I was in referral units and prisons and things like that. I loved that work and I loved the young people I worked with and they were so inspiring that they kind of gave me the confidence to pick up a pick up the the, the laptop and go and start writing stories and that's no word of a lie. Mm. So at that time, a director had said to me that I should write this screenplay. And I was thinking, should I do it? Should I not? And stuff like that. And, and, you know, and obviously you're starting to think, oh, I've got another kid on the way and work and money and career and where am I? And can I play the funny guy in a cop show forever? Probably not, because things don't last forever. And uh, anyway, I went to see Tyrannosaur. Oh wow. At the Cinema in East Finchley, the Phoenix Cinema in East Finchley. And there was a Q and A between with Paddy, Olivia and Eddie Mazan. And they came on stage and did a QA and they were charming and Paddy was fantastic and honest and candid and told everybody probably everything he shouldn't tell them, you know, like I do behind the curtain, in front of the curtain, the whole lot. And in it he said he just one day told his wife, I've got to go and write this film and he hired a room and went and sat in a room and for seven days and wrote the script for Tyrannosaur and then went home. That moment made me, I ran, I went home. I I, I marched back, I got the, got, the, got the, I was living a bit further north, I got the tube home and I walked in and I sort of walked into my wife, pregnant wife sitting mm-hmm. on the couch, my daughter asleep upstairs. I switched the telly off, I'm standing in front of the TV and I'm saying, I'm going to write a screenplay. I'm going to write a screenplay and I'm going to make a movie. And I've just seen Tyrannosaurus and it was brilliant. And I've just seen Paddy Constantine and he's inspired me to go and do this because this should be what I should be doing. So he, in a weird way, Paddy has played in, by proxy, a sort of moment, a trigger point in my creative life that made me think, do you know what? Get it down, see what happens, write something. And that was the first that I wrote a screenplay. Mm-hmm. And from that screenplay, um, set fire to the stars. We made set fire to the stars, and then and so on. And now I'm on your marvelous mm-hmm. podcast, talking about movies being indulged beyond uh, reason. So thank you, Paddy, if you're listening, you should come on Sam's podcast. <laughs> but you know, thank you, Sam, for just being a great champion of the, of of British filmmakers and and world cinema, and
0: you know. No, so it's, let's it's, do yeah. something yeah absolutely great to hear you say that and, and that's such a good story i think it's always nice when you can link your experiences back to actually it was that moment and you know that moment so well that moment phoenix essentially hearing those words from paddy and and you know you've got this great body of work behind you now that you know writer and producer and an actor it's amazing
1: and well if you <laughs> if you hadn't done those things if i hadn't worked with kids if i hadn't you know what i mean if i if all those things all lead on you know, they all they all build towards something. And even if when you're at a point, you realize that, um, you know, there's no big break. There's no luck.
0: It's long, hard it's, graft. It's <laughs> graft. And
1: you put in, believe in yourself and equally believe in the others around you. And I think that is the message. You've got to do it. You know the boxer's got to run the miles. He's got to skip rope. You know what I mean. He's got to got to commit to it. He's got to rest up and 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 focus. You can't just jump in there and swing.
0: No, absolutely. You know
1: it's it's and and you don't do it alone because it's impossible. Mm. You know you might be able to be in a position to take the credit. Mm. Hopefully, when if you're ever there, you will look around and say thank you to the hundreds of people that helped you realize it and make it happen because
0: we're in it together We're going to play Last Resort in the cinema at this film festival. If you could, if you could add anything to the cinema to sort of make the screening a bit more of an experiential experience for Last Resort, what would you, what would you propose?
1: Oh man, it could be quite bleak. I mean, you know, you could have sort of, you know, uh, border officials ripping your uh, (laughs) your cinema toga, you know, taking your taking your stuff away. The film is, you know, it's about light in extreme darkness. So I guess being sentimental and wanting to look after the lovely people who come to your film festival, let's add a little bit of uh, sugar to the spice Mm. and I would pump old fairground music (laughs) and people can eat candy floss quietly. An excellent cinema snack. (laughs) Yes, exactly, like the soft bun, I think. Uh, But uh, it's an excellent cinema snack. So yes, it would be... uh, it would be candy floss and um, fairground music because, uh, and probably pink candy floss to so you can see it amongst the grey prison <laughs> that is Margate out of season in this
0: movie. As the producer of the festival, we'll fund that. That's a lovely thing uh, to do. And if you could invite one guest to maybe introduce the film or do a Q&A, who would you like to see on stage? Well, it's got to be Paddy.
1: It would have to be Paddy and her actually it'd be amazing to sort of see them 20 years on together that'd be nice actually wouldn't it reunion reunion um but also maybe bend over maybe he could he maybe he could webcam him (laughs) (laughs) that would be very appropriate yeah yeah Yeah,
0: okay so that's cool Dina Corsa and Paddy Considine and bend over by by Skype by Skype (laughs) yes yeah exactly Well, thank you so much for talking to us today, Kellen. Oh, it's um, a pleasure, Really an honour to talk to you and, uh, yeah, highly recommend seeking out your, your film, Set Fire to the Stars for Me, an absolute classic. If uh, people want to keep in touch with you, Kellen, where have you got a social handle they should uh, look for?
1: Well, my name is Kellen Jones, C-E-L-Y-N Jones. Not many of us out there, so it's just my name on Twitter and Instagram.
0: Do give Kellen a follow, listeners. And uh, and listeners, thank you for listening. Subscribe to our show on your podcast of choice and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. As an independent podcast, it really helps. It's like podcast gold, those reviews. Um, <laughs> Uh, we're also available on 90minfilmfest.com that's 90minfilmfest.com you can contact us there or on twitter and instagram at 90minfilmfest the show is produced by louise owen and me sam clements the show is edited by louise owen with sound mixing and additional editing by luke smith our music is by martin Ostwick and our artwork is by sam gilby we're a proud member of the stripped media network do head over to their website and check out all the other brilliant shows we'll be back in a couple of weeks We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network.